Thank you for listening to Drinking with Authors. This podcast contains adult themes, adult language, adult subjects, including alcohol, sex, and solipsistic existential nihilism. Now we ask if you are drinking along with us to please drink and listen responsibly. So people can drink along because I Erica's found something new and it's so she's super excited about it. So it's called it's from Duclaw. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that correctly. Duclaw Brewing Company. It's called Sweet Baby Java. And it is a espresso bean infused chocolate peanut butter porter. There are so many things happening in this bottle, it's kind of epic. What are you drinking about? Strawberry magic. Because, you know, from who? fantasy from writer. Who? Oh, Cider Boys. I love this brand of cider. I love them. They're fantastic. Scary smooth. So it's hitting me pretty hard already. Okay, cool. And Jennifer, what are you drinking? Well, I feel like such a cl- classicist here where I'm drinking Jack and Ginger. Hey, yes. you know what? We're, I'm 100% behind you. I'm just trying to – we had a guest that had – chocolate porter and i was sitting there like the entire podcast jealous of that and i'm like that's it next time i'm drinking chocolate porter and that's what i found so this is it's okay we can drink okay so jennifer i would like you to tell our guests our guests our listeners i love drunk podcasts our listeners a little about a bit about what you write in english when i say oh. okay what do you write sure 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 so uh I write the Millennials Guide series. I started with Millennials Guides to Work, and then my most recent book is Millennials Guide to Management and Leadership. And each of these have a lot of challenges that people run into in the workplace and a lot of different ways to address them. So for each challenge that people encounter, like they feel like an imposter or their boss doesn't lead, I give them 10 to 15 ways that they can address this issue from internally, like changing their own perception or changing their own expectation to um, being able to talk to their the other person or being able to do something in the moment or planning for the future or something else. So this is awesome. So this is, it, it, it's actually a first for us on Drinking With Authors because you are a nonfiction writer. So this is, well, it depends on one, how one looks at workplace, I suppose, but yes. you're not a <laughs> writer. Um, and I looked at a little bit about your history. So you've done a lot of things. You are a very accomplished human being. Ah, thanks. I stay busy. I try to stay out of trouble. Yes. Well, that we don't accomplish on this no, show. What's no. <laughs> I like to stir trouble sometimes. Yes, it's, it's sort of a hashtag life goal, but... Um, so what made you decide to go down this route to write about this? Because I, I work in HR as a day job, and millennial is used so often as a bad word. It drives me crazy. But people say millennial and try to almost have all the negative connotations. I should tell people, we are recording this in the time of COVID, so it's a Skype call. So if there's audio problems, I don't give a crap what you think. But um, what made you <laughs> decide to go down this path? Well, in large part, what you were saying, that people are seeing millennial as a bad word and as something awful, the kind of negative stereotypes and assumptions that are out there about millennials are just awful, that they're lazy or that they're entitled or that they don't want to work hard. And the young people I know are busting it. They have a full-time job and a side hustle or two, and they're desperately trying to understand what's going on in the workplace. And I started looking around for what kinds of materials are out there. And I saw all these books for how us older people, I'm Gen X, uh, how Gen X and baby boomers can deal with millennials at work, how you can motivate millennials, how you can manage millennials, like there's some kind of zoo animal. And I just thought there's nothing out here for, <laughs> for millennials. Right. No, I, I yeah. think it's really true. It's, it's interesting that you say that because in HR, what I find is that 
you know, I, I talk about like the gold watch. Like there was a point in time you went to get a job so you could be there for 25 years and then retire and get a gold watch. And, you know, you say that to any of the current generation. I'm a Gen Xer too. Val's a millennial, but whatever. <laughs> so, um, so you you say that and they have no idea what you're talking about when you think about going to a job and retirement because they don't think that way at all. Like it's not, I'm going to go find this place and I'm going to stay there forever. Right, right. And some of the baby boomers and Gen Xers think, well, that must be because they're terrible people or they have no loyalty anymore. But when you look back and say, okay, who actually gets a gold watch anymore? Nobody does that. We don't have a defined benefit plan anymore, like pensions. There's a defined contribution. So you get money in your 401k, which can get you know wiped out at the, the blink of an eye. And the companies aren't as loyal to the staff anymore. And when you add to that, that these young people are coming into workplaces where there are many, present company excluded, I'm sure, many older people who resent them or are irritated with them or expect them to know all kinds of things that they were never taught. No wonder they don't want to stay at companies. I sympathize with that. No, totally. And I think Absolutely. it's also, uh, I think, and I'm very happy about this, I think with even our generation and looking into generations after that, you know, it's Gen X, Reality Bites, um, so, uh, <laughs> Kurt Loder is 70 years old from MTV, just throwing that out there. But, um, I remember that. What? Like, no. Yeah. The FYI, that's a thing just for all of us to feel really old. Dang. 70 years old from MTV. But, um, I think that, you know, when we look at workplaces, it, they, they don't look at, like it used to be, you could look at a workplace and it's how much money you're making. That was like the defining factor on your workplace is like how much money you're making, all of that. And that's, that's not what they look for anymore. And that's, that's not the defining factor of work. It's um, the work-life balance, which is brilliant because people were working themselves to death. You work for somebody and you just go, you know, getting a gold watch at the end is not a, not a thing like that. Is that what you really work towards? And I don't think they, they think or feel that way anymore, which I think is brilliant because it makes it about where you can be whole as a person, not just, do I get a paycheck from this job? Right. And I completely agree with you. And at the same time, there are many Gen Xers and baby boomers who don't feel like you do, kind of grateful that millennials are pushing the workplace in this direction of balance and they feel resentful. I suffered. You should suffer. That's true. And and I agree. And I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that you wrote these things that are changing that. But okay, as a writer, where the hell did you go? You know what I'm going to do? This is what I'm going to, I'm a Gen Xer. I'm going to write about millennials. That's what I'm going to do. What made you decide to become a writer about this? Turning point. Anyway. Yes. Yeah, it's a turning point. Turning point. Well, I actually wrote another book first. Uh, on leaving. It's called Courageous Leaving, How and Why We Leave, because I realized I'm a leaver. At least I'm a workplace leaver. I seem to be much more willing to leave jobs than other people. And I've moved around a lot. I've always moved around a lot since I was a kid. And I'm willing to leave houses. And I've had a few relationships that didn't work. Turns out I'm a relationship overstayer. But in any case, I wrote this whole thing <laughs> about all of these different yeah. We can come back to that later if you want, but wrote this whole book on leaving, which I'm still excited about, but I went through the process of working with an agent and the feedback I got was really interesting. They were, it's too academic. It's not academic enough. You're putting too much of yourself into this book. You're not putting enough of yourself in this book. And I thought, you know, I'm going to set this aside and work on something else. And in the meantime, I had been meeting with this group of young women. It just so happens I was the oldest one in the group and the only non-millennial. Going through college you know, that was a delay thing. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're meeting and I was saying, hey, I'm interested in, in leadership and management and how you can get ahead and how you can do this. And then over time, they started bringing their work troubles to me. And, and we'd all talk about it, which is great. And everyone would weigh in, um, but they were really interested in what I had to say. And I was very humble. I very much appreciate their faith in me. So I kept pushing in a leadership direction. And then finally, one of them said exasperatedly, look, 
I don't want to be a leader. I just need to figure out how to deal with the guy who sits next to me who keeps bringing fish for lunch. And I thought, oh, (laughs) we need to start with the basics of guide to work around some of the, the stuff around how to manage your own motivation, how to manage colleagues who bring fish for lunch or do other things that annoy you, how to deal with your boss. So I had to take a a a big step back, write about work, and then move forward into management and leadership. No, I think that that's awesome. And it's great. So you wrote this other book, we're going to talk about that more, because that sounds amazing. Um, So with these books, did you self publish? How did you get these books out? I did. I so I started my own publishing company, because you know, why the hell not? So yes, we did they, the same thing. Yeah, so yeah. we're 100% on board with you. So awesome. You know that experience working with the the agent was nice enough, but that experience, uh, I just felt like I didn't want to wait another year to get kind of pulled in a lot of different directions, and thought, let me put this out quickly. But then you know it ended up working out pretty well, and I, I like adding. I'm a publisher to my resume, and uh, I have now a whole series of books in the works and the Millennials Guide series, and I'm pretty happy about it. That is awesome. So it's Winding Way, uh, Winding Pathway Books is the name of your publishing company. Yes. Okay. Yes. Saying that correctly. And I'm working with a couple of other people who want to publish through my publishing company. Like, I'm turning into a real published well well done high five yes no that's awesome so when you started this book yeah epic high fives um when you started this book you went down this path what is the kind of feedback you've gotten on this i'm curious the feedback world out there what is the feedback you've gotten right the feedback from people our age or from Gen X and older is, I wish I had this book when I was younger. And then young people are saying, I'm using this as like a reference at my desk. I think, I think that's, that's awesome because there are so many topics out there and it's interesting. Like I, I actually volunteered at, believe it or not, they let me around high school students. Oh my God. Um, with the beer, now with the beer, you don't take the beer into high schools. That's a thing. That's a rule. That's a guideline. But, um, you know, I talked to them and I actually started a whole series, which I had to fight with the school board, which was a lot of fun called. There's not an app for that. I started calling it adulting 101. (laughs) And for the first time I've been volunteering for this high school in this particular thing for six years, they never paid attention to a fucking thing we did. And then I put this adulting one-on-one and the, literally the school board for the state was like, I'm sorry, what the fuck is this? Like, what is this thing you're doing? So I changed it to, there's not an app for that. And I surveyed the kids and I realized like, they don't even know how to change a tire. Like that's a thing that we're taught. They don't know how to change a tire. They don't understand the concept of turning on electric or turning on cable. Like for, there is a definitely a generational thing where they don't know how to do these things. Like if they want an apartment and I learned that from my kids, my kids happen to be 21 and 24 and their friends and stuff. I'm, I've become mom to all these kids because they call me going, okay, I want to get a cell phone. What do these things mean? Like when you're doing it, there isn't a guide to life and there's a somehow a difference in parenting. And I'm not saying that in a derogatory way, but I think, you know, we talk about the fifties housewives and, you know, the moms that stayed home with the kids and stuff like that, but there was an educational piece to having a parent at home with you, teaching you certain activities that when you have parents or both parents working or a single parent None of it's bad. Don't get me wrong. I was a single mom. But the actual teaching of life skills somehow disappeared. And that's even worse when it comes to trying to get a job and navigate in the workplace. And being a millennial myself, I I like to call myself, I consider myself old school because I'll say a thing and they're like, you're not old enough to know about that. And and it's because (laughs) I'm a, a, she'll she'll vouch, I research the crap out of everything. 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 Uh Everything. So because of that, that notion and wanting to self-teach myself so much, um, it blew my mind when uh, a cousin and her, her high schooler who's about to graduate is in our house. His mom's out for two weeks 
And he comes out of the room after a week and he drops his laundry basket in front of me. And I'm like, what are you, I'm pregnant. I'm, I'm fighting skin cancer. Like, like, what are you, what are you doing? What are are you doing? And he's like, "Uh, I need my clothes washed. And I'm like, the directions are on the bottle. Did you know that? And it's on the lid of the washer. He goes out for 15 minutes. And comes back, he goes, I don't understand any of it. And I had to show him how to wash his clothes. Yeah. He goes, but mom separates it. Let's start with the basics, buddy. Let's yeah. just get your clothes washed. And now I'm a parent myself since then, because I was pregnant with the first one. My nine-year-old's like, hey, mom, I just threw stuff in the washer and flipped the load. And I'm like, thank you, child. I'm right. so glad that right. I, I, you're so, he's this, I, when he wants to please me or wants to ask permission for games or whatever, he's washing dishes, he's mopping the floors. Like, at least I know I'm, I'm slowing down and teaching those basic things and letting them, I think the hardest part is letting them do it. No, you got to let them totally mess everything up. Yeah. I remember when my three-year-old wanted to help with dishes, and he dumped an entire bowl filled with spaghetti in the dishwasher because he was oh. doing it. And I was like, I literally, it was actually a learning moment for me because I had to take a breath and go, okay, honey, so we have to throw this stuff in the <laughs> trash before we put the dirty dishes. But I had to take a breath and not get frustrated and push him away and go, I'm just going to do this or whatever because he genuinely wanted to help, and I had to go, okay, we have to take the time to go. They're going to completely mess up what we're trying to show them how to do until they learned how to do it. So how much backstepping and guide to work that you had to do that's similar to the, the, the household chores? Yeah, that's a great question. So I didn't go into cursive. Like I didn't talk about writing cursive, although I put it out there for anyone. I will teach cursive in exchange for helping me understand what TikTok is. I will totally do that. <laughs> Yes. I'm out there too. I will plug for that. Yeah, go ahead. I've been avoiding TikTok because I'm like, I don't get it. I don't understand. So I I go back in the Millennials Guide to Work. I talk about basic work skills, which include understanding your values and building your network and goal setting. A lot of people that not limited to millennials, but a lot of people feel like their bosses are the people who should be setting goals for them or helping them with their career progression. And it's up to you for your career progression. And if your boss can help you, great. But you're you're the one in charge of your career. And if you just let someone else do it, you're gonna you're not gonna end up where you want. Um, and other basic skills I include in here. Several millennials who reviewed it suggested I include not just how to obtain a mentor and how to obtain a career coach, but how to obtain a therapist. Yes. So and how oh, yes. yeah. Oh my and gosh. how to know the difference when you need one versus the other. And then how to interview for a job. And it was a little controversial among the millennials who reviewed this. Some felt that I didn't need to put it in there, but it stayed in, do not bring your parents to the interview. Oh. Because so many people mentioned that, that they would have young people come to the interview and their parents were there with them. Like, no, you prepare together, you could celebrate together, but the interview, you've got to walk in and do that one yourself. Don't, they shouldn't even be in the building. I agree. And, That's brilliant. I do HR. I, I'm literally yeah. an executive over human resources, people operations. That's what I do as a, like a real job. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh. I go through also like dress for the job. I had a girl show yes. up in Victoria's Secret sweatpants that said pink and glittery rhinestones ah. on the butt. flip-flops and she showed up and I remember just looking at her and I looked at my receptionist and I walked back in my office and my receptionist is like you were supposed to dress in business casual and she's like I am in business casual and I went (laughs) what (laughs) practice has happened to society that that girl thinks that what she's wearing is business casual clothing yeah, no, and, and yeah. it's and I I totally agree with that stuff because I being a, a lead now. So one of my claim to fames. Oh, you have a claim to fame. I have a claim of fame. I have not ever landed a job that I haven't gotten a promotion within three months on. Wow. Oh, whatever. She's kind of a big deal. Don't listen awesome. to her. That's the exception. I, I, I like to. I, I can't. <laughs> I come in like the Kool Aid Man. That's my theme. I'm like I want. <laughs> 
I wear a skirt under the radar, and they'd be like, bam, here I am. But it, it's the same thing. But that's my personal goal. That That's not the goal set for me for the company, for the goal or anything. It's a, a If I come in and I can prove myself to myself, then the rest takes care of itself. So I, I really appreciate the fact that you've covered that because I think a lot of my generation expects people to set goals for them. And I'm like, no, sweetheart, you get to decide what you want, because if I put you in a position you don't want, you're going to be even more miserable than you are now. Right, right. So let's talk about your writing process. So you sit down, you get all this, you know, you're listening, you're like, that's it. I'm going to write how to do this. What was that like for you? (laughs) Well, it was definitely easier than writing the leaving book. That's for sure. I, I got to sit down and think about, okay, what are all the problems that people have brought to me or that I've experienced over the last 20 years (laughs) in the workplace. Uh, And I used to, I was faculty at a university and worked with a lot of young people, especially during their internships and when they would realize the difference between the content knowledge they learned and getting along at work and being successful at work were two very different things. So I had a lot of experience working with uh, challenges. So just started writing down what those challenges were and then got some feedback from millennials to help hone that and organize it. And again, I started with just one book about leadership and management, but then ended up having to separate it into two different books. But I'm a big big, uh, proponent of the butt and chair method of writing. I set a timer. Sometimes I have to because I, I just feel too scattered. And if I don't set a timer, I'm gonna, not going to stay in the chair. So stay in the chair. I'm going to write for at least an hour. And usually once I get past those first 10 minutes of, of struggling, it, it goes pretty easy. That makes sense. So you actually have a PhD, correct? I do. I am Dr. Wisdom. What are you a PhD in? Awesome name. Well, uh, besides awesome, I'm a clinical psychologist. Well, that is that's got to give you a neat, unique perspective on doing that. Yes, it does. And I started as a journalist. So I've been kind of writing and struggling with writing for a long time. Uh, starting with writing journalist stuff and then writing academic stuff and now really trying to to write something that's for the the regular press that connects with people and that they find helpful. Okay, so let's we're gonna uncover this. We're uncovering okay. it together, mainly because we we're all drinking now. It just cracks me up because Jonathan Mayberry also started in journalism. <laughs> yes. No, I think you know, journalism unfortunately journalism is not as it's not a career you can have as much anymore. You have to be like, you, you can't go, I'm going to be a journalist. Like that takes on a whole new meaning than it did 20 years ago. You know? Yes. yes so definitely. let's talk about your uh, leaving book. I want to uncover this because it sounds yeah, yeah, fascinating yeah, she, to me. That, that overstaying in relationships. Yeah. That was, hello. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> let's talk about that for a moment. So let's talk about that book. So you started, um, you wrote that book. You had that one go out to um, agents and stuff. And then you put that on the shelf to pull these books out. Right. Yep. But you said that was much more personal for you. Definitely. Was that, um, I, I mean, obviously, I assume it was harder to write that one. Definitely. Did you have have moments where you got up and you're like, yep, not doing this, not uncovering this particular thing right now? Many, many of those moments. Many of those moments. Yeah, I interviewed a bunch of people. Like, I would be that person talking to people on the airline, you know, next to back when we were sitting next to each other on airlines, uh, I could talk to somebody. That was so passe. (laughs) (laughs) You have to sit rows from people now. That's a thing. You do. do. But I would start up conversations with strangers and it was so fascinating. People's stories about leaving someone or something, whether it was leaving home, leaving a job, uh, an opportunity to leave that they never had. I found out about a friend of mine that I've known for, gosh, probably 20 years. I did not know that 
she and her husband were planning to leave, planning to separate, and were actually starting to drop papers to get divorced. And then it turns out he was in a terrible car accident, and she stayed by his side in the hospital, and they ended up getting back together. And she said if he had not been in the car accident, like, he became a different person. I, I never would have stayed if that if he hadn't completely changed into a different kind of person. And everyone has these kinds of stories. And the more I talk to people, and, of course, reflected on my own leaving, because when I would leave a, a job or I would move somewhere, remember, I moved to Washington, D.C., for a job. And after about a year, I bought a house and people said, oh, so you're really going to settle down here. And I thought, no, I'm just buying a house like that. To me, that doesn't mean I'm settling down somewhere. And, you know, I had it for four or five years and then I moved on. And, and that's bizarre to some people. I get that. It's probably as bizarre to many people as staying in one place for 30 years is to me. And this leaving process, whether it's leaving a job or leaving a person or leaving home, leaving behind a dream, leaving behind an identity, I just find it so absolutely fascinating. And so, so where is this book at? Where are we at, <laughs> where are we at on this we book? At? We want to know. It's Do all our nice clients that are drinking want to know. <laughs> I promised myself when I published Millennial's Guide to Management Leadership that I would turn back to it. And I have. Of course, we've also nice. had protests and COVID-19 and some other things that have also been taking some attention. Um, but I am turning back to the book and I'm trying to decide how do I want to turn it into a millennial's guide where you have the different questions and then little you know answers underneath, or do I want to try just publish it myself, or do I want to uh, go back to the the regular publishing route. Um, I'm not sure. I've given myself to the end of the summer to decide. So I'll let you know. <laughs> no, please do, but we're, we're a thousand percent behind. You have a publishing company. You're a publisher. Publish the damn book. Like do it yourself. Like Thank that's you. the thing. Cause I, I, don't get me wrong. I hope I would love for most novelists to get that agent or get that thing and be in that top five or 10% of a publication company where they give a crap about the author enough to do something with them. But if you've already, you've already done this, you've already been there, you've done it. You've got the t-shirt for being a publisher yourself. Just do it because it sounds like you have a book and a voice and it, it may need to be um, adver advertised or marketed separately than the millennial if you don't go that route. But I think that it's it's a very interesting topic because, like, I know from my own life, from being both in HR, I've been in HR for over 25 years. So you get to see all the humans when you're in HR and all the <laughs> great and not so great things humans do and go through, plus my own personal life. You know, the leaving thing is really interesting because I even had a friend, for instance, we we went we both together went to a friend of ours wedding um, out of state and we were there and we're doing this whole thing. And it occurred to me while we were there, she didn't seem to be calling her husband a lot, but I, I just took it that they'd been together a long time. They'd been together 13 years. You know, I just, you know, when you're with somebody a long time, I would just forget to call. <laughs> I, I was just like, maybe they don't need to talk that much. But I remember it was a little bit of a like a little thing in my brain. Right. Come to find out they were divorcing, that she was in the middle of a divorce with this husband while going to this wedding for this friend of ours and completely faked it well, didn't bring it up once, whatever, and felt like she had to keep it very much to herself. And I remember thinking, you know, I we've been friends for That's 20 hard. plus years and she didn't feel like she should talk to us about it. And none of us found out until six months after the divorce. Wow. That they had gotten divorced. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. You know, that's an issue I talk about a lot in the leaving book around how many people feel, myself included, feel a sense of shame around leaving, whether it's leaving a job or leaving a spouse or whatever. We feel the sense of shame because we couldn't make it work. No, or totally. because if there's we were guilt, and there's also a clinging to you you talk about people in abusive relationships and i i mean not just spouses like physically abusing you but no, also I, like i was jobs to... and stuff like yeah. that where you you know people i i come and like i have a friend that it's so I, it's just a very 
like personalized topic. And that's why I'm like, get this damn book out like right now. Like, she why isn't it. it out? I would like you to issue it out tonight. She's going to make you sign it. Yes, <laughs> like do it. Um, and I do want to sign copy as soon as that book is out. I insist yes, upon that. But um, <laughs> I have a friend that has, like, she's at this job and it is physically taking a toll on her. Like I, we had a conversation and I actually had to explain what stress was to her because a lot of people think it's stressed and then you think you're stressed out, but you don't realize like she was telling me a story and I said, listen to the picture of your voice. Listen to, did you tense up? Did you feel that? And she's like, yeah. And I'm said, that is stress. This is physically wearing on your body to be at this place. Tell me how it's worth it to do that. Right. And she was like, I don't even know what to say to you right now. And I'm like, what you need to say is this, whatever your income level is that you think it's not worth it. It is not worth to give up your physical self, your mental and physical health to do this job. But she literally can't let go. Like, what is this thing that you can't let go and she's like, well, there's income and, and other if people. I leave, the other people are going to be put in the same position. Exactly. She said me. that. And I said, what do you think will happen if you leave? Do you think all those people will be like, oh, my gosh, this, this thing has changed. I'm going to go with this person and support them. That doesn't happen. <laughs> yes. Wow. Yeah. I I relate to all of this. And, yeah, that sense of the whole organization is going to fall apart without me. Or I need to take one for the team constantly and forever for the rest of my career. Those are just really toxic. Those are bad. It's just not, to me, that's not the way I, and organization, despite however important I may feel I am, it's not going to fall apart without me or without any other one person. And if that's not part of who you want to be, and that's not part of the life that you want, and you have the privilege or the financial wherewithal to be able to make that transition, do it. Do it. It's better than being a martyr. Nobody cares if you're a martyr. Martyrs aren't really that prolific anymore on these topics. Like, <laughs> you're not making a difference to those people at work. We have to take a 30 minute break before you say anything. We have to take a 30 minute break. Not, not a 30 minute break. It is. Little Java. There's nothing like caffeine and alcohol. Okay. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back with drinking with authors. Hey, thank you for listening to Drinking With Authors. We wanted to let you know that if you're an aspiring author out there and you'd like to be on our podcast, you can email us at drinkingwithauthors at gmail.com. Or if you guys have a question, comment, want to tell us some little tidbit of interesting news, you can always direct message us or comment on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. We love that you're listening. We love that you're out there. And we look forward to hearing from you. He did it. Look, he's recording us. Okay, we're back. (laughs) Adam doesn't tell me anything. He's brilliant. And he's like, oh, just by the way, I'm going to record you guys just rambling on for 20 minutes. That's how you get the manatee discussion. Manatee discussion? Oh, were you that drunk? I was that drunk. What manatee conversation are you talking about? Me hitting the manatees with my tackle and I... Oh, yeah, you did throw manatees. Don't let let Val around nature at all. Okay, so (laughs) going back. So we were talking a little bit about leaving. So I have a question for you. You're writing basically um, guides and self-help books for different people. Mm -hmm. Do you write fiction at all? I'm so glad you asked that. I am just starting to ask that question. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just starting to convince myself that I should. When I was a kid, I wrote all kinds of stories. I I, somehow I always knew I was going to be a writer, and then I kind of got distracted with this whole academic thing and writing scientific papers and whatever. But I'm starting to get back to it. And yes, I have a novel in my head and I was thinking about it. I was listening to one of your podcasts this morning on a walk and someone was talking about writing about Florida. It was the um, the Florida episode. I forgot the name of her book, but um, Funky Florida or something like that. Oh, that's, yeah. No, that's um, uh, 
God. Okay, her name was Freaky Florida. Freaky, Freaky Florida. Florida. Yeah. 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 So, and it was just really inspired me. I spent part of my youth in Florida and have been wanting to write about uh, some experiences there and thinking about how to weave that into a novel. So yes, thank you. Your podcast has inspired me to write more fiction. Look at how inspirational (laughs) I think that's great because, you know, it's interesting is real life is stranger than fiction and you've already written about real life. You know, it is a lot stranger than fiction. I think it can be a lot harder to write. And I was just curious how you felt about your voice because it's a different kind of writing. But if you've written academic papers, you should have fiction down to a science because I wish you guys could have seen the look on her face right when I said academic papers. <laughs> that was I think- epic. Oh my goodness. Okay, let's talk about ap- academic papers for a moment. Yeah, I think the difference is in, you know, you you asked about leaving versus the millennials guides. I love writing the millennials guides. That was a lot of fun and writing the kind of books that like talking to people and finding out what what are your what are the problems and how can I help you with them? That is lovely. I love doing that. Writing academic papers is much more uh, it's a little it's a lot drier um, and it's a lot more at arm's length. And then writing fiction, even when I've, I've been like tossing this book around in my head for a while about writing this novel, it feels so close, like writing the leaving book feels so close. It is, it's always harder for me to write about things that are closer to me and to my experience. And I'm not even talking memoir. I'm not trying to write a memoir. It's not that close, but it's still closer. Right. And I, and I was just saying this on a, a previous podcast, like when, even though we're writing fiction, whether it's sci-fi, paranormal or something crazy, there's always something raw about what we're putting in there. And I think that's the hardest, that's one of the harder obstacles we overcome is that knowing that we're going to put it out there and it's going to receive criticism and stuff. And because there's a little piece of our emotional attachment, it's a ba- it's our baby, it's our baby. Yeah. And, yeah. and we hope they won't drop the baby. <laughs> Right. But there's always the weird cousin. I don't know. I write horror. I'm kind of cool with him dropping the baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I think to your point, like, you know, you talk about um, the leaving book and, it, and almost what you just said. I go, is she wanting to go the traditional publishing route? Because it almost puts the book at a little more distance from you. I'm not yeah. analyzing things. I shouldn't be trusted to do that. But um, <laughs> not while drinking. You, no, no, maybe <laughs> while drinking, I might be better at analyzing things. We don't know. But I, I would love to see your writing in a fictional term and even just experiences and stuff like that. Because I think when an author can relate to what they're writing, like I can tell you honestly, like I've written scenes in some of my um, horror short stories. I'm working on my first full-length novel where I've had to get, like, I freaked myself out. I've caused myself to not be able to sleep at night because of what I've written in the story. Yeah, and I've gotten up and I'm like, this is terrible, especially if I'm, like, having a couple glasses of wine. Don't do that. Don't, like, have wine, (laughs) write really scary shit, and then try to walk into your darkened house after you do that. (laughs) It's it's a terrible... The shadows move. (laughs) It's true, but then I go... This is some really good crap. If I freaked myself out writing it, I go, totally. okay, I've done the right thing. I've I've done that. So, um, when you're when you talk about have you when you write, obviously you've written academic papers, and there's a methodology to writing academic papers, and there's a research associated with writing academic papers, and yep. then you've written the how to. But let's talk about the difference on the leaving book, which, by the way, needs to be published immediately. And um, <laughs> she will these, not let it go. These, I'm not going to let this go at all. I'm going to have Adam mention it when he's talking about this podcast. So, what is the difference when you're writing these different types of things? We didn't lose podcast. She's pausing. By the I'm way, pausing. That was a pause. <laughs> um, I, th- I tend to think in terms of structure, I think of kind of an outline, like uh, I, I kind of joke with people that I've always thought in spreadsheets and flowcharts, which was a terrible liability when I was 12, but it's really helpful now at this point. <laughs> so 
I, I try to like outline what I'm going to write about. And I know that a lot of fiction authors don't do that. They just kind of start with a character and go from there. But I tend to outline. And I think the part about the leaving book that was more challenging for me is that it wasn't, it didn't have as clear of an outline. Like the, the Millennials Guides book, the, the books, the, their outlines were pretty clear. Of course, scientific articles, even journal, journalist articles were pretty clear. You know, the upside down pyramid about what's the most important thing and then the next most important thing. There's a structure about that. And for leaving, I had to come up with a structure. So I, it took a little while, but I did come up with how to, with essentially a structure of the steps we go through, people go through when they're contemplating whether to leave and ended up making that the structure of the book rather than here's all the stuff to think about when you're leaving work. Here's all the stuff you need to think about when you're leaving a partner or when you're leaving home or whatever. I had it originally organized that way. I got some really nice feedback to turn it and go through those steps. So it still was creating steps. Then my, when I think about writing fiction, my process, which again, I'm just getting started to and you know, listening to your podcast, put a flame under me to start going in this direction is I'm thinking I want to outline the whole story and then figure out the order in which to tell it. Because a lot of times you're going to want to start in the middle. Christina Farley, uh, you'll sometimes see her posts on her Instagram. She'll take the whole hallway and sticky notes and start <gasps> rearranging the sticky notes until she gets the plot bouncing how she needs it. Then she sits down and writes it. So you're not alone on Love thinking it. of it that way. And then she's like taking notes. Well, you know, notes in hallway. you actually remind me a lot of what um, Jeff Strand, who's one of, I love him. He's one of my good friends, but he's a horror writer. Does he know we promote him? I so don't much? know if he does. It doesn't matter. I heart his face. <laughs> but um, I don't care talking about the people that we love. Lynn Waddell, that's who you were talking about. My drunk gnome in my head yes. finally woke up and found that post-it. Okay. But um, Jeff Strand talked about being a method writer and we, we, well, we called him a method writer because he very much looks at the formulaic, like the part of the book, puts it together and then sits down and writes the book. And he's not, um, character driven by it. It's not that he doesn't, um, write about the, you know, the things he on the character. He doesn't the characters like I do. Yeah. She'll go running after the character. They'll go left and she'll be like going left. And I'm like, where are you going? And I'm she's following like, them. Yeah, I'm following them. They know where they're going. No, they yeah. don't ever know where they're going. But, um, and so it makes it so, but he's very much like sort of the tactician you're talking about with uh -huh. writing. And it, that's a writing style. Like, it, you, I don't think any author should go, oh, this is how the other people do it. You almost have to listen to how everybody does it and go, I'm going to take this little bit and I'm going to take this little bit and I'm going to take this little bit and do it. Because some people are epic plotters, for instance, and they'll plot out the entire book. And then there are pants. I'm a pantser. Um, and then there are people that are, I call them plancers. I'm which a plancer. So like I have a loose outline, but it's not like a Bible outline. Because every once in a while a character does a thing, and I'm like, why'd you do that? That ruins this other part. And then I have to... <laughs> this character that she's typing the words for on the paper that she's in charge of. But it's interesting, and it's not bad. It's just, you know, are you that person, or are you the person that goes, no, I'm, I'm the star of this particular show. You guys are going to do what I tell you to do, and this is how you're going to do it is a totally fine approach to it. Or if you want to go like Val and let the character run you off a carousel, fine, that's what they did. And you let them do that. And I enjoyed every bit of it. And that's fine. You enjoy every <laughs> bit of it. Whatever. But I think that <laughs> none of it's bad. And I think that you have to not try to put yourself in a box as a writer because it doesn't help you to try to conform to the way anybody's doing things, which right. kind of is what your books are about, is not conforming. And here's how you go about doing things, and you find your own methodology. Look, do you see how right. I tied that right. all back you together? Tied it all back together. And really? I also have to say, since I started writing short stories and novellas, some stories I have to be like a strict plotter, and I I do those bounce points, like you're saying, like plot the whole thing out. Like I had to do that with laying with the lady in blue. I had to structure it all the way through. Whereas before, like the goat's gruff, I just flew by the seat of my pants. So it, it sometimes it just depends on the story. 
And I think that, you know, you have all of the characteristics of a, you know, you already are a brilliant writer, but you have all the characteristics of a brilliant fiction writer. You just have to to go with it and not let the story be here, but start putting the story there. And you'll find you have to change things. Everybody has to change things. Did I mention you should get this leaving book out? I don't know if I've mentioned that yet on the podcast, but just in case I hadn't, I'm bringing it up again. Thank you. But, um, I, I think that's neat. Who are you um, when you started writing? Because you obviously started writing scientific papers. What did you write about? Well, uh, I like I the pause again, listeners. That was an epic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I my work was my scientific work is in the field of public mental health. So I looked at how individuals interact with the healthcare system to get treatment for mental health issues for themselves or for their family members. So I worked a lot with kids, adolescents who were depressed and how they obtained treatment. I worked with uh, state and city healthcare systems to look at uh, how to structure healthcare delivery, mental healthcare delivery in ways that were helpful for the patients, how to train the staff better, how to ensure the staff aren't getting burned out, how to make sure the financial systems are lining up. Uh, I'm really interested in systems and kind of how, I mean, I think, I think, here we go. I think infrastructure is sexy and you have to. (laughs) That That should be your tagline. I think infrastructure is sexy. That's awesome. (laughs) It is because if, don't have it's like you always hear like people don't appreciate plumbing until it's broken and then they really really are desperate for a plumber but otherwise they're not thinking about all of these things that happen every day that help us do our jobs the electricity the plumbing the the transportation all of these different things and if you let all of those if you let that infrastructure deteriorate or you don't give at least a little bit of attention to it you can get in a world world of hurt yeah. No, it's true. I, I insist that one of your characters in the fiction book have the line, I think infrastructure is sexy. I need you to make a note about that. I want to see it in one of your <laughs> fiction books because that is brilliant. She's writing it down. This is brilliant. I'm writing it down. Yes. Okay. So let's talk a little bit. You decided to go the self-publishing route. Did you, I and you let a bunch of people read, did you use a formal editor or did you just use these beta groups? I used the beta groups and I had a copy editor. Perfect. Very cool. Yes, thank you. That's a note out there, copy editors. Um, When you put them out, what did you look at for marketing purposes on this? What did I look at for marketing like, purposes? How do you market? Don't take what I'm saying as actual She's words. Drunk I'm questions. Drunk, drunk so questions. No, no, I'm okay. I'm interpreting. Did you, care, you know, were you looking at other people's interiors and how they reached out to the 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 cover uh, designs and stuff like that? Like what kind of research went into that? Yeah. So I re- I looked at what um, what kinds of books were appealing to millennials and ended up with the kind of uh, a cartoon kind of cover. Yes. That was not not photograph. Um, I had solicited several ideas because I had no idea what I wanted and got some that were like a hand carrying a briefcase and that was really too stern uh, so wanted to keep this going with the, the different ones and ended up working with a designer for the covers so that I have a whole series of covers for the books that are related uh, the related style kind of the the, the light-hearted and fun style because um, again most people when they think of work they think drudgery and that's not what I think. And I hope other people can also find joy in what they do and they can use their work as an extension of bringing, bringing their gifts to the world. And hopefully that that's something that resonates with people who are millennials. Work is just yet another way that you can bring your gifts to the world. And so how to help keep that lighthearted. Um, and then uh, after that, it was talking with millennials about how to market. And I use some of the the regular uh, venues of, uh, you know, through Amazon and through Facebook and having reading groups and inviting people to give feedback on the book. I got a lot of advanced reading, uh, people who could give comments on the first book and put the advanced praise in there, which was really helpful. And then each of them, I sent everybody a book 
all of those folks. And then I had a whole list. I probably sent out 75 books to people. And someone, uh, one of my colleagues who works at a university actually added the Millennials Guide to Work to her curriculum That's for amazing. interns. That is yes, awesome. so I'm so excited about that. Do you do a lot of public speaking? I do, um, not recently, <laughs> in the time of COVID. Well, I mean, obviously, um, <laughs> we don't be around each other at all. We're in the time of right. COVID. But. And I'm doing a little bit on Zoom uh, and, and through um through the computer right now, but yes, I'm, I've been trying to pick up more public speaking. So not just going the um, the bookstore route. I, I had a few of those set up that got canceled due to COVID, but then working with uh, organizations. So I'm part of Toastmasters, so that's public speaking, and I, I give some talks there. And then that opens me up to speaking at other places. I got to do a, a, a great talk at Google for their um, their Google Talk section around how Millennials Guide to Work, and hopefully I can go back and talk about management and leadership as well. Uh, and I love doing this. Like I, I really want to uh, continue to talk about this, and not it's not about selling the books. It's not I'm not going to become you know super rich from selling books, but I really want to get the information out there. That's that's what's most important to me. And I have a talk coming up with a company that's interested in how to help their managers and leaders grow. And I love it. That's really good. I, another one is on um, intergenerational communication. So how, what kinds of values different people, different generations bring to the table and then how you can work through those while keeping light on the stereotypes, but also being aware that people are coming in with different perspectives. No, I think that's that's brilliant. You should do a TED Talk. Just throwing that out there. TED Talk time. TED talk. Work on getting a TED <laughs> Talk. Yeah, work on getting a TED Talk. So what's coming up? Could you be my here? agent? I could be your – I'm a very good agent. I'm actually working – I. it's funny that you bring up this topic because no, – you didn't bring up this topic. That's drunk talk right there. But um, – <laughs> This is the podcast, so it's a topic. It's fine. I'm pretty. I'm pretty on TV. Yeah, the porn so is talking. I actually, it's I. I have a lot of um, talks that I do as an HR person on radical honesty, radical transparency, and being a good manager. Because yep. I don't think people realize how important good management is of yes. people, and that people work for their managers. Because the moment somebody yes. goes, "I need a raise." The first thing I think is like, how bad is it that you think you need more money to do whatever it is you're doing? Not in a bad way. Some jobs are underpaid, but the fact is, the moment somebody's like, I need more more juice for this squeeze, I go, wow, you do not enjoy your job, which means you don't enjoy your manager. Right, right. That's to me, that's part of that infrastructure part around people come to jobs for the work, but they leave jobs because of their manager. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So what is coming up? What is the next guide that's coming out for millennials? Uh, the next one is Millennials Guide to the Construction Trades. Oh. I'm so excited about this. This is when I'm, I'm not very familiar. I was, was not very familiar with this. I met up with a guy who does great, great, great work in the construction trades where he's, he's I think, fourth generation carpenter. And now he teaches young people about construction trades and we are going through and identifying the different types of construction trade stuff that I didn't even know what this stuff was like a die and cast make anyway, I don't know, but uh, ask me when I'm completely sober and I can tell you that one, uh, but working on the construction trades. I appreciate that. Now, now, now what you don't see is the geekery happening in my head. And I'm like, Oh, it's yes. I'm fascinated because I have no choice because I married like a third generation HVAC contractor guy Uh (laughs) who trade has been doing it since he was little. His dad Went yeah. to Lyman High School and they actually taught HVAC as a course, and he went straight into it out of high school. By the way, that's air conditioning. Just in case anybody who's listening Sorry. has See, no a clue yeah. what that is, you, you can't go wrong in Florida with air conditioning. Though. That's true in Florida. Yeah, you need air conditioning people. Yeah, like, that's the thing. Um, yeah. But I think that's brilliant because again. We're going to be, there's going to be a point where electricians are the highest paid people in this country because there's not enough of them to go around. 
And they're already ridiculously paid. And I don't think enough focus is on the trade industry and how you don't have to go get a business job or go work at a retail store or whatever. You like these trades pay a lot of money. Yes. Do them. And some people are skilled in that direction and don't even realize that's what they should be doing. Right. Right. And I, I received some, I will say mild criticism of the millennials guide to work because it was focused pretty much on desk jobs. And I, I get that. And I acknowledge that in the construction trades book is a way to, to try to make up for that, but not everybody's, not everybody's happy in a desk job. Have you ever thought about reaching out to like Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs and ask for like a forward from him? Because if you have not, I think that would be a really great incentive. That is awesome. Okay, now you're, <laughs> yes! you're both hired to be my yes. agent. I love it. We, we are. We are everybody's agent. To the world. Yes. I love you it. And I think a lot of people don't realize that, especially in trades and um, like being authors and being things like that, reach out to people like, uh, you know, when I started the, this idea of the podcast, because I was doing meetings with authors in person, and I was like, we should be recording this. This would be brilliant. Let's record this stuff. That's where this was born out of. And I went, you know, what? I'm going to start reaching out to famous people and just going, hey, do you want to be on the podcast? And I was amazed at how many people were like, yeah, yeah that sounds like a brilliant idea. And it, but you don't ask. If you don't ask, yes. you won't get yeah. anywhere. I mean, You're the worst you can hear is right. no. And the funny thing about that, in the trade industry, it works like that. You can walk onto a job site, ask for a job, and say, I have no experience, and they'll go, do you want to learn? And if right. you say yes, and you start learning, they'll pay for you to go get the certificate and everything exactly. after a while. It, it's it's really like a passion job a little bit. It's the opposite stereotypes about millennials. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I love yeah. that. I love that. No, so I have construction trades. I have Millennials Guide to Diversity and Inclusion, which I'm very excited to work on that one with a colleague of mine who is a pastor. She's so amazing. Um, Millennials Guide to Relationships. I've had several requests for that one from some of my friends with millennial kids. Please write this book on relationships. Before they uh, and then uh, Millennials Guide to Advanced Workplace Politics, just for the step beyond management and leadership um, that can get into some dirty politics. And wow, if you ever want to get really interesting story, well, in HR, you already know them, I'm sure, yeah, but there's say, so many. Thrones. You're either playing the game you. or yeah. you're dead. Yeah. That, trust me, when you're ready to write that one, I will absolutely assist you because yes. I, I tell people that all the time. I'm like, this is Game of Thrones. When you're in a, in a company, you've got to understand or you're toast on how right. that works. Right. And I think there's that. I was that person who, when I was 18 and 20 in the workplace, was like, I don't understand. Why is this happening? I didn't do anything wrong. Why is that person mean? And thinking it was about me, but also kind of obviously it became clear over time that it's not it's not all about me in so many senses of the world. But at the same time, there are things that an individual person can do when they're in a highly political situation to make that better. So I'm really interested in that one, too. No, I, these are brilliant. You have really tapped into a whole entire oh brilliant line that is desperately needed out there. So well done for that. You should yes. get, you. you know, that's you. awesome because I can tell you everything you're saying is yeah. it's not. And it's, there isn't something like I can talk to people about it, but there isn't something I can go, you should go get this book. book. Now right. I can say that. Now I can be like, you need to go get this yeah. book. Oh. Yes. No, absolutely. Because I, I I'm think, sitting here thinking the same thing. Like I know some people at work who could benefit from this, this book because they're always coming yeah. in like, Val, I need to talk to you. Like you were saying, you, you found yourself the person they go to the bounce it off. Right. And I said, uh, you're overthinking this. Let's yeah. break this down to the job wise and take the, yeah. the, the fodder out. Yeah. No, right. exactly. No, I think that's right. Okay. So we're coming near, near the end of our, our, our part. How do people find you? Where's the best way to find you? Not your house address. Don't do that because stalking's a real thing out there. So how do people find you as a writer? Media website. I have to say that because one of our guests was like, I live in Tampa. Bring your dog by. I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't say that. <laughs> yes, please do not come by my home. Yeah. Uh, I'm at leadwithwisdom.com. That's my website that has the information about 
my work as a consultant, the books, and my podcast, which is called Millennial Wisdom. And I interview people. I interview millennials about what they're what they're up to, essentially, and especially about work challenges and making decisions about work issues. And then maybe we can, um, I don't know, we'll talk about different things on the podcast as it goes. But all that information's on my website, leadwithwisdom.com. And then I'm on all the regular social media at leadwithwisdom. Awesome. 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 Yeah. You have been amazing to have on this podcast. You have been awesome. Thank you so much, a guest. Thanks for having me. I know. And she's waiting for the book, Leaving. By the way, the Leaving book, in case I haven't mentioned that recently in the last five minutes, I do need that book. So that would be awesome. Jennifer, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We really appreciate you. My pleasure. And thanks for all your agent advice. And if you ever do want to become an agent, let me know. Let us know the results yes. when you're ready or want to come back and share. You know, when leaving yes. is published, if you want to come sure. on the podcast. She's not going to let you back. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do. Okay. Guys, this has been Drinking with Authors, America Lance. And I'm Valerie Willis. And we'll see you next time.